Welcome to 90 and a little extra. My name is Adeyemi Adesoya. Today we'll be talking about um, stadium naming rights and what the law says in Nigeria. Um, a few months ago or thereabouts, uh, Mubalachi Johnson passed away. Uh, the first governor of Lagos State passed away. And the stadium we, well, I grew up knowing as the Unicorn Stadium was very, was named after him. And that brought about a, a few, you know, some conversation within the sporting fraternity that, you know, we need to move away from naming monuments like stadia after people. That what is happening the world over now is um, people, government, you know, private sector people, handing over the rights to a stadium to corporate bodies who are willing to put their brand name on it. It is big business. Um, it has a, there's a lot of money assigned to it. Although, in number, whilst we, we say that, a number of big clubs in Europe are still holding on to their old names. So, I give you an example. Wembley is still Wembley. It hasn't been changed. Uh, while the likes of Arsenal and change their stadium to the Emirates Stadium because Emirates paid a substantial amount of money to get their name, you know, on at the door. Uh, Manchester United still remains Old Trafford. Um, so, uh, the better bow is still the better bow. No camp is still no camp. But some other teams across Europe, like Juventus, uh, Bayern Munich, they've moved with the Alliance Arena. So, it's a growing trend and there's a lot of money in it. Um, today, I have the pleasure of having um, a lawyer joining us. I think my relationship with lawyers is thriving. So, I can go and cause trouble anywhere now. I have Steve Wabwezi joining me on Night and Little, on Little Extra. Welcome to Night and Little Extra, Steve. Thank you, Emmy. Thank you, Lagos. So, we... We will be talking about uh, stadium naming rights and what the law says. So let me just quickly take, um, I was reading an article from the Business Insider. Let me take the opening two paragraphs from, from that. They say, what is in the name? Quite a lot of it is on the stadium or famous structure. Marketers know that putting a name on a venue, if there's no negative association with place, can make billions of positive brand impressions in the minds of potential buyers. Why billions? Visitors to important venues are just one of the audiences that see the name. Others, including passers-by, TV, and internet viewers that watch events, live live and in replays, news audiences on TV and on social media, those watching videos posted on YouTube, or people that share photos in person and online. That's why the owners of stadiums are other famous and other famous, famous structures are more than happy to sell the naming rights as a way to generate significant revenue. Let's just take a quick brief history of naming rights. Not too long ago, stadiums were typically named after teams, depending on the location, depending on the identity, uh, depending on the stage, geographical location, and what have you. I think um, 
in the early days of sports, very few uh, had names. Right? Uh, the first names that come to your, to your mind is probably the, uh, the JFK, that's an airport, there's the RFK Stadium in, um, in New York. But in 1912, the owners of the stadium where the Boston, Boston Red Sox played, they called it Fenway Park. And interestingly, there's a real estate company known by that name. So more or less, they took uh, that. In 1926, William Wrigley named the stadium where the Chicago Cubs played Wrigley Field. You know, Wrigley, uh, I think it's a brand of chewing gum. So mostly the, the acts behind naming stadiums after brand after brands is probably more of an American thing. And you know what it is about Americans when they come into a sport, they they more or less find a way to uh, take almost total control. So that has come into Europe and a lot more European teams are doing that. Much more European stadia are doing that. Um, in 1953, August Briot II wanted to rename Sportsman Park where the St. Louis Cardinals played Budweiser Stadium. Of course, if you go to the NFL, where the New England Patriots play, is known as the Stadium. So, more or less, it's more of an American thing, but somehow it's coming to Europe. Now, Steve, yes. why are we not looking in this direction in Nigeria? We have the National Stadium in Abuja has been renamed the MK Abiola Stadium, you know, obviously after... Uh, the multi-billionaire was the adjunct winner of the June 12 election. It was named after him, I think, sometime last year. Uh, we have Amadou Bello Stadium in Kaduna. We have the Sanya Abacha Stadium. Interesting, we have the Sanya Abacha Stadium in Kano. We have the UJSS Stadium in Calabar. We have the Namdi Aziku Stadium in uh, Enugu. We have Teslim Balogu Stadium here in Lagos. Why is it something? Why is it that it's something we haven't looked at from a branding business perspective? What does the law say? Okay, thank you very much, Amy. Um, first of all, it's important to understand that um, there's actually no structure, there's no regulation whatsoever governing this area. What um, the jurisdictions you have mentioned you mentioned the United um, States of America, which has more or less owns this area and place this area. What they do is to, uh, through innovation and technological advancements, to specialize um, this area of sports. It, many people actually from this part of the world are yet to keep into. Um, but we look at us as a, as a people. First of all, we like to eulogize politicians. We like to monitor people who, um, for one reason or the other, probably had some kind of a formidable political history. Uh, I think that is, the, that is the starting point now, because we don't have any regulation and actually no regulation in the places you know. What we have, what we have, we have witnessed is clubs and corporate brands are conscious of the humongous commercial benefit from source sponsorship. Leveraging on to um, that relationship, the multiple relationship that we see both parties make um, uh, great growth into the market. Now, 
come to Nigeria, first of all, where is the structure? Where is the political will to even um, do this sort of thing? Uh, you look at us, we don't have any structure sport-wise. The regulations are weak. And then you attract investors. Which investor now that go to a stadium and uh, beam its ads on the on the on the advert boards and hoarding. Then in the middle of a match, experience a power out that will do great damage to the position of so many of them are shying away from it because many have yet to be convinced about the profits of actually leveraging this kind of area. But again, you look at the uh, regulatory framework. By that I mean governments in place. The government of this is actually adverse commercializing sort of so are we are we government? let me cut you short there um steve yes so are we yes. saying that for us to move in that direction we need to yes. have some form of legislation you know in place where uh, the focus okay. kind of changes okay uh, you might not really need the legislation okay. what you need is what it is a government that which is the special uh, benefits of leveraging on such things. Uh, you have a it's putting a stranglehold on sporting infrastructures in the country. Yeah. They would rather name a stadium, they would rather name a venue after a renowned politician than yeah. giving it a corporate brand that will manage it. Now, you mentioned Sunny Abad Stadium, you mentioned Namdia Stadium. What do this state stadium have in they are dilapidated structures. You go there, you don't, you don't feel like there's no life. Uh, apart from any particular match day, there's no activity going on. How many of them actually realize? Yes, how many of them actually realize that you can you can have you can have a cinema inside the state? How many people actually realize that you can have a hotel inside the stadium? Yeah. These are the things that will keep the stadium alive when there's no major sporting activity going on. So by the time you don't have any major sporting activity going on, you see the stadium, the field overrun by weeds and everything. So that is the problem. The starting point is the government needs to negotiate, first of all. They need to uh they, they need to realize this is something that has to be done. And I, I've interacted with friends who have investor friends who have tried to make inroads into this sector. But they've met with all sorts of opposition government officials who are most reluctant to relinquish those rights. So you now ask yourself you started um, instructively by asking what is the meaning. So realize that we can, we can leverage on the immense commercial benefits from such things. So the starting point is for, for the government to realize that oh, they need to put the proper infrastructure in place so that investors can come in. And how do you do that? You need good access to you need you need uh, uh, investments into the sector. You need to pump money into the sports industry. When you know where you are not regulated, you don't regulate your Sukadawa league, for example, uh, if you have you have two teams come from the state government, representing the state government, 
90% of the things in Nigeria are owned by or controlled by the state government. Mm-hmm. You go back to the LFC rules, that is actually against the spirit and intent yeah. of the LFC rules. Yes, sure. So they float, they float those money, they are, they are more or less um, more or less appended to the state government. So because of that, the government refused to relinquish and probably because one or two things benefit from this case. Yeah. We have become averse to change. We have become averse to progressive development in the area. So that's why investors people. So no investor will come into an invested country where he's not is not assured of security, he's not assured of strong regulatory framework that speedily address any disputes between parties to a, a particular sporting country. So it becomes a problem. So the government of all needs to create an enabling environment to even allow these brands to come in. I think that the first floor for us has to be the fact that uh, um, when we're building most of the stadia we have in this country, we only built them for match days. We didn't build them for uh, other other activities. Multi-purpose events, yes. Yeah, so if, for instance, a match is not happening today at this stadium, that's the end. The stadium is just there. It's just, it's just a block of several cements right. put in, you know, put in one place. And um, the way the world is today, you know, for instance, I think it's, it's, a, it's sad that as a country, we don't have a football museum with all the history that we have in football. But when you, the first question you then ask is, okay, so... If you don't have a football museum, where would they put it? You know, that's why when you go across to Nigeria and you look at the National Stadium, you probably want to weep for Nigeria because a lot of history was created in that limbo. And I've had the privilege of going to uh, the Corinthian Stadium in Sao Paulo. Inside the Corinthian Stadium in Sao Paulo, there's a football museum where all the history of Brazil, football in Brazil, is right there. Yeah. It's right in the stadium. It's open to, to tourists to come and, you know, take a look Sorry. at it, finish. In fact, the way they, they did the tour is you walk, when you walk through, the, you now come out at the stadium. Come out at the side of the stadium where you can see the entire stadium, the main yes. bowl of the stadium. So I, why I said that legislation might, legislation might be part of the way to go is this. Legislation says that one, it is, it is, it is clear that government, sports ministry, uh, state, whether federal or state, minister of works and what have you, can't maintain the stadium. It's, the stadium that we have, they can't maintain it. They can't maintain it beyond putting budget allocation, you know, to the stadium and they're not doing anything about it. You know, they can't maintain them beyond when it's time for my day, they now maybe a week or two weeks to at the event they start doing some uh, house cleaning, some window dressing. Yeah. So yeah. why is the legislation you know, we get to the point where you put out uh, maybe twenty year, thirty year lease on a stadium? Right? Yes. Private, yes. core private investors 
that okay for yes. X hundred million, X hundreds of millions, come and lease the stadium for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So when the private investor comes and pays that money, whatever he decides to do with the stadium, as long as he's not selling it, well, whatever he decides to do with respect to the stadium, so he can decide that, okay, um, I will give the naming rights to Guarantee Trust Bank. X Stadium will be known as Guarantee Trust Bank Arena. So Guarantee Trust Bank pays X amount of million. So that is a means of recouping part of the investment is made in acquiring that lease. So then, obviously, he would then find activities, events, and what have you for the stadium so that there's traction, there are activities where he can then make money. I think that is where we need to go. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but maybe the starting we need to enter to um, public-private partnerships. You enter into public partnerships. They do part of the corporate responsibility for some of these corporations to um, enter into a relationship with the government where they will be given um, a number of years to probably take care of this stadium, take, take over this stadium, take over the management of the stadium, the facilities and everything, and uh, have the opportunity of recouping their investment within a specified number. Maybe that's where we need to start from. Uh, the the legislator legislature not sit down and make it. Okay, so um, I will say probably the starting point will be for the government to enter into private-public uh, partnership with some of these renowned corporate brands. Um, a relationship that would uh, transfer the administration management of this facility to most of these notable stadiums in those corporate brands. We give them a number of years link with recoup investment uh, because most of these issues are governed by issues around private law. They are not governed by public law. What do I mean? The legislators in the state house of a state, for example, will not sit down and say, okay, uh, the legal state government transfer the ownership of this state to the trust bank or to is not part of the credit of the gas assembly member. Permit of gas members is to make a decision that will create that environment that will cause um, commendable public private partnerships. That is perhaps where we will have from. And with time for the club sites, especially in the Nigerian uh, professional premier, would leverage on such things and attract other partners. So that is. So perhaps that is why I said I needed to put the um, issue of regulation, of influence of regulation on stadium appearance. To that extent, yes, you can say you can make commended regulations that would attract investment first of all, and then create private public partnerships that will enable the government to hand over uh, this stadium and the facilities. 
to the corporate. Yeah, but the unfortunate thing is that you know these guys aren't thinking in, in, in that direction. They haven't even been able to sort out the most basic of things. You can't expect them to do some deep thinking. Now, when an era where the government says that um, their revenue generation is somewhat limited, right? Obviously, we know recently just increased the VAT, you know. Correct. I think that if we're able to, like you said, public-private uh, partnerships are brought into the yes. for sports. If you have serious sports people looking to invest, that in itself can increase the revenue generation for states and some federal governments. And the federal government, right? For some states and the federal government. So, for instance, yes. you know that uh, MQA Abela Stadium in Abuja is owned by the federal government. National Stadium Lagos is owned by the federal government. You know, then we know that Testing Balogun is owned by Lagos State, Oniko is owned by Lagos State, Akik is owned by Lagos State, Sonia Abacha is owned by Kano or federal government. I don't even, yeah, I think it's owned by Kano State. Liberty is more federal government. Namda Ziku is federal government. You know, so that way. So imagine if you're able to sell, you give out a a 10 year lease at 100 million. Yes. To each of these. So I've mentioned like five state stadiums that are owned by the federal government. So you give out a 10 year lease at 100 million. I'm just saying hypothetically, because now, you know, it's also difficult to assign value to our stadium because some are, they are mostly underused. So how do you attach a value to it? You get so this is hypothetical. So in essence, that is yeah. 500 million naira. Mm-hmm. In what we in banking we used to call a, a what do people used to call it extra income. Mm-hmm. You know, income that you didn't expect. Yes, because you've done some deep thinking. Now, Lagos State has two major studios. Okay, three, if you had a gig. Now, imagine if they're able to do a 10 year lease on each of these stadiums and say, take. And they do 100 million for Teslin, 50 million for Onikon, 20 million for Agege for 10 years. Already, that is, you know, 170 million additional that they can use to do whatever it is they, they deem fit to do. And then the investors will then, in turn, turn the stadium around, put some money, get activities, concerts, football, all sorts, and then be able to buy it. After 10 years, you sit down and do a, a review, and um, then come up with a plan and say, okay, after 10 years, you've done well, let's review or otherwise. Whilst we are, let's quickly look at the, the top naming rights deals in the in the world. So maybe our, yes. our listeners can get a feel yes. why this is essentially a big deal. You have the Scotia Bank Arena. The yeah, price so, is so, so. about $639 million. And the deal was signed in 2017. It's actually $800 million. Oh, it's not eight hundred million. Eight hundred million dollars, okay. It's eight hundred million. That's the highest. So that's far. yeah, that's the highest. It was signed in twenty seventeen till yeah. till twenty thirty eight. So that's uh, 
and the, the 21 year lease, 21 yes. year naming rights uh, agreement. The MetLife Stadium between 425 and 625. Now, if you don't know the MetLife Stadium, that's where the New York Giants play in the NFL. Um, for those that um, we have more football people, so let's pick up a football stadium. Uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that's where the Atlanta Atlanta United play in the US, is $324 million. That's since 2015 to 2043. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so let's go to, let's look for another one. Okay, the Barclays Center, those that follow basketball, the Brooklyn Nets play at the Barclays Center, and that's a $200 million deal. That's from 2007 to 2032. Hmm. And you see, interestingly, you have a university, University of Phoenix Stadium. They have a hundred of in fact, you know what? Let me tell you the funny thing about this University of Phoenix Stadium. I may be wrong, but if I know my stuff well, University of Phoenix is actually an online university. Yes, correct. I'm correct. Yeah. It's an online yeah. university, and then they bought the naming rights to that stadium. And it's $154.5 million from 2006 to 2025. And these are for American students. Let me look for, let's take a, let's look at the ones that our people will probably be able to uh, relate with more, which is football. Uh, the Cardiff City Stadium, let me write this, uh, let me look at that. Let me, let's go to one that a lot of people would, would know. Cardiff Stadium, sponsorship value, let me look for Emirates, let me look for Southampton St. Mary's, let me look for a major big stadium, these are small, small stadiums. That, there's the 18-seater 18-seater stadium in Shanghai, which Mercedes Benz Benz Arena in Shanghai, China. So, um, uh, that is a more actually multi-purpose stadium. Okay. Where they do also also think there's a bowling arena there. You also have, um, have a cinema and other side attraction. So these are also the ways you can leverage on diverse um, economic benefits arising from such. Okay. So there's there's a huge, 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 you know, potential. For instance, the, the, the new White Hat Lane. So anybody who's looking at taking the naming rights for the new White Hat Lane, you know, you're talking about hundreds of millions of, 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 of pounds. Um, there, it's been rumored that um, even Liverpool at some point are considering changing, you know, taking some form of uh, living rights agreement. We know the, the uproar that came up when um, the Etihad, when the city of Manchester Stadium was changed to, um, to the Etihad because it was for a lot of money that a lot of people couldn't understand how Manchester City were able to pull off that day. But then we do know that the ATR and Manchester City have 
a very good uh, connection in terms of ownership and, and 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 what have you. So if for us to push ahead, you know, as a country and in our sports as a whole, I do think that, like Uncle Jimmy said, we need to do a, a bit of deep thinking. Right. Thinking outside of the box. We cannot continue to just sit back and watch potential monies that are there. In South Africa, I think they have the yeah. FNB stadium and it's been FNB for, for forever. And that's the first National Bank stadium. That's the uh, National Stadium. It's been the FNB like forever. And, and you can imagine how much it is that the South African government are making in, in that life. What kind of environment do you think that government needs to create to encourage private investors to come into this sector of the market? Okay. Um, the starting point is to educate some of the corporate brands to understand um, acquiring some of these naming rights will go a, a long way in satisfying their corporate social responsibility. Mm. Uh, then the, the government can also go ahead by probably giving some some kind of tax base to corporate mm. that take up such. Um, now, I made I made mention of the regulation, the regulatory aspect of it. Um, part of the way is also that we can to structure and standardize our sports industry. I will keep saying it again, when you don't have a, an effective dispute resolution framework, where the investor is sure to walk in anytime, any platform that you have provided for resolution of disputes and make sure that he gets out with a decision from a court or a tribunal within a reasonable time. Investor will run away from such an environment. Mm. But where you have where you have a weak dispute resolution framework such that investors are easily scared away. You have you have cases lingering in court for five, ten years at point. Most of the cases even die. Why why, why does that by, I've always yeah. wanted to ask why do yeah. court cases take so long? Well we I have to choose my worst care. Just just look like just look like me now. Where? <laughs> we the ponderous system. We have a ponderous system. It's a collective responsibility. Hmm. It's not just people it's not just pointing judges. fingers at the lawyers, point fingers at the judges. Correct. The system itself, the judges uh, the judiciary is understaffed, first of all. Hmm. If you look at the docket, the docket before the judges, some of them handle up to 25 kids a day. Now, it will take some kind of uh, superhuman for you to be able to accomplish everything you set out to achieve. Now, you talk about the environment, you talk about the attitude. Lawyers come into court, you don't want the matters to go on, they bring all sorts of frivolous applications just to mm. put spanner in the works and make sure that um, you don't make any problems. So these are these are some issues. Then you talk about um, who we are as a people generally. 
Mm. Now, there are some kind of reform, reform that would subject some of these cases that you bring in court to some sort of screen to see how potent most of the claims are. That will go away in bring the dockets before the judges. Whether I like it or not, the judges are in. Um, they will need their time, they will need their holidays. Usually, the judicial uh, vacation starts sometime in July through September of every year. Now, the courts go on vacation during that time, but the time the courts come, comes back in September or October, uh, the first month, usually, most of them are still in that hand. Oh, we just got back. Insurance, <laughs> I just uh, got bombarded. back. <laughs> yeah, insurance bombarded. I remember a judge telling me, oh, I'm not in any contentious matter. But if the matter <laughs> is not contentious, who wouldn't be for you? <laughs> that is that, yes, that's why we are before you. So, we go that time you get to December, the momentum has slowed down again. Then about hmm. Christmas, then it gets to January. By February, to pick up from April, most of them are already thinking about the vacation, thinking about Easter vacation. So, uh-huh. that is the Yes. So, that is that is So, tell me an investor that will come invest inside that kind of environment. Many of them will be scared. Oh, I'll come and lose my money if I make multi-million uh, dollar investment in such an environment, and then I have a dispute that, um, that I need the courts to determine before going with my investment. If the court doesn't, have, that means I've lost my money. That's why many of them are scared. I was speaking with a colleague in the other day who was telling me his experience about uh, trying to. Uh, venture into the force industry in Nigeria from the UK. He said he was completely frustrated. He didn't know where to start. We, we as people, we, we have a lot of work to do. It's a collective responsibility, like I said. So the government itself, then it has to be serious judicial reforms. The good thing about sports is that sports generally, naturally, um, shouldn't be ventilated in open courts. You have uh, bespoke arbitral tribunals to make sure that some of these disputes are, are taken care of speedily. But what what do you have in Nigeria? You don't even have the when was last time the NFF arbitration committee sat. Mm. So these are mm. the members of the you don't the kind of war, so. No, well we, we have to say it. We'll so are, you for, it are you for us having like a sports tribunal of our own? Yes, I'm all for it. I have a specialized tribunal, similar to what you have with the industrial National Electric. Industrial Industrial Courts, specialized, just manage with, with competent personnel who will discharge their duties without fear or favor. So do we have, so do we have enough judges or sports, is this sports, uh, sports inclined judges or sports uh, qualified uh, lawyers or people of the law? Okay, good, fantastic. Yeah, uh, take to become a specialist in a field. You might need some kind of technical knowledge as a sports person mm. to be able to sit on a sporting tribunal. But that can be that can actually if you actually sit down with the regulations. That's why we are arguing. Uh, some people are still not convinced that they're like sports law. 
<laughs> you read the regulations, read, read the decisions uh, handed down by tribunals like the Court of Arbitration for Sports. That is what distinguishes you as a, as a sports judicial personnel. So every other thing is an you already have the knowledge of the law. You have the knowledge of the law. So it's just the application of the basic principles of contract, commercial trust. That is what is needed. So it's not as if you go and uh, up a complete new set of men to go and stay there. It will shock you that most of the people who sit in court of attribution for sports had no affiliation with sports. But because, because they are seen the arbitrators, they, they, they've handled all the technical disputes from huge investment, uh, investment uh, arbitration to uh, exit disputes. So that is a specialized field that uh, you don't really need serious technical knowledge to do, get qualified traitors who sit there and hand them the materials to work to be able to discharge their duties effectively. The people who are sitting in the, I don't even know who they are sitting in the NFL committee, what is their qualification? So these are the things you need to question. So you have the legal of arbitration there, you already have an institution that you can partner with, you partner with the legal of arbitration. Lagos Court of Arbitration can create a sports division that can determine some of them. But that is that is a topic that let's not let's not debate for the stadium naming rights. Well, I've always thought that uh, it's imperative that we change our mindset and and see sports from a completely different perspective. Right. The the yeah. the industry has gone beyond. It being a means of uh, of uh, political patronage, or yes. a means of uh, yeah survival, like you said, um, there needs to be some form of deep thinking. You cannot put a bricklayer in charge of a teaching hospital, or in charge of the Ministry of Health. You can't put a bricklayer in charge of the Ministry of Finance. That should be people who are who have the affiliation. Although. In some instances, you know, mm-hmm. most people of themselves have not done the industry a lot of good, a world of good. Now, yes. we've had instances where sports people have taken charge of ministries of sports and what have you, and they've done even worse than those that have no no background in sports. They've more or less been consumed by the same madness that remains, you know, inherent in the in the in the industry. So I think it's a lot of work, uh, and which is one of the things this podcast aims to do is to, you know, enlighten people about the opportunities in sports. I recorded one earlier today. We're talking about someone who invested in domestic now domestic football.